Hey everyone, welcome to episode 155 of the MDG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Castor-Apple, with me here is Lee McLeod. Hey, hey Lee. Hey Chris. How's it going? Pretty good. Well, how about you? Not bad. Can't complain too much. I did not have to go to work today, so, you know, I have that going for me. At all, or just working from home? I'm just working from home. Oh, that's good enough. I, I didn't get that luxury today. But, I mean, we all know how sometimes you work from home and you're not super working from home. It was it was kind of one of those days for oh, me. Oh, of course, yeah. Well, my days, I actually love working from home, just to, you know, tangent as soon as possible. Sure. Uh, because... I work really well in, like, short bursts mm-hmm. more than, like, one long thing. Mm-hmm. And if I'm at the office, I have to work. Like, I'm expected to be working the entire time. And I just can't do that. Oh, yeah. Like, I will work really, really hard for, like, three hours. Mm-hmm. And then I'm more or less working in 15-minute bursts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, kind of same. My, my best working days... And what I really like about working from home is... That I'm not required to, like, go take a shower and go put on professional clothes and then, like, eat food and then get in my car and then go drive. Like, there's a whole bunch of steps before you can start doing your stuff. I really like that I can just sort of roll out of bed and start working on the things that I knew I needed to work on. And then I usually could just, like, do that for a couple of hours and then pretty much have everything done like pretty quickly and there's no distractions at home right. it's so great i can do so much more in like my three-hour burst at home than i can at the office because i'm not being interrupted like every 15 minutes by someone with a stupid question <laughs> <laughs> yes so i mean i can't really stress enough how lucky i am not only that i have the type of job that working from home is even like a, a possibility at all certainly can't do that in any sort of service industry or anything so i'm super fortunate there and also fortunate that my work allows me to do that um just very very lucky that i get to but i have grown to really appreciate it beyond just the the appreciating the safety that i get from it oh yeah i i appreciate all of it because i'm on like these weird shifts and whenever it's time for me to be at home Mm -hmm. i'm like oh thank god i don't have to go out into the scary dangerous world (laughs) yes the disease-ridden outside world. Whew. Yep. But anyway. Anyway, Magic the Gathering? Oh, I'd love to talk about some Magic the Gathering. Cool. Uh, we watched a bunch of Magic the Gathering this weekend. Talked about it, too. We covered the Mana Traders Modern 15k. A lot of fun. Modern is pretty cool. Yeah, it surprised me mm-hmm. that it had kept up the kind of stories that had been surrounding it where it was like oh modern's the best it's ever been and it was like it seems to bear that out it was pretty good yeah i've seen a little bit of complaining about like uro and stuff and while uro was definitely a presence in our tournament it definitely was not the most heavily played thing it wasn't a super dominant piece of a strategy or anything like that it was there but not a thing that i would leave the tournament complaining about yeah i i agree and i've actually wondered a little bit why that is because we know Uro is really absurd in standard. It's the format. Mm-hmm. And it's very, very good in Pioneer, despite that format being warped to where Uro is unplayable. Yes. Essentially. Right. And it's very, very good in Legacy. What's Modern doing that's so... Because Modern's not the combo-focused format that Pioneer is. Mm-hmm. 
you're playing on a lot of fair game axis. Yeah, where Uro should be pretty good. But it's just like not, it doesn't have that much numbers. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why that is. I can't figure it out. I mean, in some ways, I think it's kind of because the, I, I think one of the reasons is because the best aggro deck in the format, whatever iteration of prowess you want to play, Uro doesn't do a great job of shutting that deck down the way that it can do different, like kind of more basic types of aggro decks. Like the prowess deck, and in particular the blue-red prowess deck, is very good at killing you despite Uro happening. And so that's like one level of Uro's utility that isn't really there. You know, Legacy doesn't really have aggro decks anyways. No. And like way more games come down to these attrition wars. And even in modern where there's some value stuff, like drawing a couple extra cards over the course of a modern game, you're not always able to leverage those resources the way that you kind of always can in a Force of Will format. That's true. Okay, so I, I'm i interested to see how modern develops now. Mm -hmm. If people can figure out how to build their... Maybe like maybe you go towards Sultai if you want to play Uro to do more Fatal Push stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe we just see a bunch more Team Escape Shift. Because that deck looked very good. Yeah, it definitely looked good. I mean, we, we have numbers here. Certainly, this is one tournament, so the win percentages are not something that you should take and decide like that is the win rate of these decks or anything like that. But as far as just sort of metagame composition goes, the most popular decks in our tournament were Red Green Ponza and Eldrazi Tron, which is uh, really funny to have the two most played decks and have one just have a straight up main deck hate card suite against the other one. Like, that seems like something went wrong there for some of the players in this tournament. Yeah. I do love the top five of this, the top five most played decks mm -hmm. of the Manitrader's tournament, because it was Ponza, Eldrazi Tron, Blue-White Control, Jund, and Burn. Yeah. <laughs> Just, like, the modern decks people have been playing for so long. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, Red-Green Ponza really is not a deck that people should have been playing in most iterations of modern, but it still showed up. Like, now it is a totally defensible choice and does stuff that completely keeps up with the power level of the format. Yeah, like, half their cards are from 2018 and 2020 now, yeah, so that yeah. just changes an entire deck's viability. Right, right, right. And, I mean, Bloodbraid Elf into Season Pyromancer is a nice, fair, you know, fair in quotes. Like, you're getting a lot for your four mana and a card, but it just, like, feels like pretty good, clean magic with efficient stuff that you're doing. I especially like seeing the Gruul deck. One of the matches we saw against Dredge, mm -hmm. just the addition of Clothis to that deck. Yeah. Clothis plus any hate piece like a Torrent Script, it just seals up the game. Mm -hmm. you, you have to, you're really far ahead at right. that point. Right, the combo of the, I have this Tormod's Crypt, so you can't just punk me out, and then the Clothis just is going to keep you from being able to slow Dredge me out of the game. You just get Dredgers or whatever. Uh, yeah, it's... It, for a red-green deck, a red-green mid-range deck to have those tools against Dredge, it was definitely pretty impressive. And Dredge was one of the better performing decks in this tournament. Not as a share, mm -hmm. because how many Dredge pilots were there? There were six. six. Yeah. Oh, it actually had a 63% win rate, but only six pilots. Yeah. But there were two within striking distance of the top eight. Mm -hmm. Connor was 7-0. Yeah, Heartbreaker. Did not make top eight. Yeah, and we had two X2s in our top eight, but somehow Connor's tiebreakers, despite starting 7-0, his tiebreakers were just kind of atrocious. Yeah, 
That was a real rough beat. Yeah, I, I felt pretty bad for him. And then we had Nicholas also in the top eight with Dredge. Mm-hmm. Actually made it to the top eight with Dredge, and they were just kind of crushing the tournament all day. Yeah, we, yeah, we saw them a lot. It was it was hard to get away from them in our feature matches. Um, both of them choosing to go with Silver Smoke Ghoul over Bloodgast, mm-hmm. which has kind of been the debate in the community, the Dredge community. Um, I know Evan when he like heard that he was just like, but Bloodgast is so good because he like he plays. Maybe he plays burn a little bit differently, gets his opponent to 10 with burn spells and turns on the blood gas a little more. I I know I've seen Evan play dredge in a very aggressive way, um, which is a thing that the blood gas can be a payoff for. When you are doing the silver smoke ghoul plan, then, you know, we saw them come back a lot and put prized amalgams in when otherwise maybe they would not have come in with blood ghasts and... uh, it seemed I was impressed by Silver Smoke. I think it was pretty good. I I actually really liked the extra protection, the way that they trigger prize amalgams, because mm-hmm. you can do kind of the same thing with a fetch land mm-hmm. with the blood ghasts. You just have to have a fetch land, and you can crack it during their second main phase. Yeah, to bring back the amalgams during their insteps, so right. you can play around sweepers that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the Silver Smoke Ghouls just do it all on their own. Since they come back during your instep, yeah. they trigger amalgams to come back during your opponent's instep. And then even if they get rid of your first wave, the amalgams come back and they're still there. And if there are more amalgams than the first wave, the second amalgams bring back the, the first amalgams. Yeah. And uh, we even, I think we saw at least one player get kind of tricked by that sequence and not realize that the prized amalgams were going to come back in their instep. Uh, and you know, make an attack that I don't think you make if you you know that those two three threes are coming back. Uh, so definitely, it's a little tricky until you get used to that being how dredge works now. And and two other things I really like about the addition of Silver Smoke Cool. Uh, Smiting Helix is the first one. Everyone was playing a copy of Smiting Helix. I don't mm-hmm. think I saw more than one. I think Connor had two. Connor had two. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. Because I, I, that card impressed me. Mm-hmm. I rarely saw it do more than just be a lava spike that gained some life. Yeah. But that was still very good. Having extra burn spells in the burn heavy dredge deck. Right. It was very valuable. It was. And I mean, the the gain three life is bring back silver smoke ghouls. Yeah, exactly. So that is, it, it definitely fits really nicely with both of those, with, with both the burn plan and how you bring back your ghouls. I do think you need more than just the creeping chills. And so one or two Smiting Helixes seems to kind of just be plenty for that. And we definitely saw a number of players concede when, you know, the game wasn't actually going to end for another turn or two, but the burn was just there in the graveyard. Like, Dredge is just really good at dealing the last, like, ten points without needing combat for it. I I saw a couple games where the Dredge player was at, you know, 16 cards or something in library, Mm -hmm. and two Creeping Chills have already been used, but the opponent's at, like, eight or something. Yeah. So, normally, that's two Chills. The opponent's still at two. They can come back. But now, with the Conflagrate and Smiting Elix and the extra Creeping Chills, it was just almost always dead. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they always had the Conflagrates before, but... You know, just one extra or two extra burn spells in there. I, I don't know. It just seemed pretty impressive. I definitely was very surprised to learn that Smiting Helix is a sorcery. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, all right. <laughs> sure. It it's a weird. I don't I don't know how they design these modern masters cards. They just like <laughs> throw text on it and then don't really think too much about it. I just 
like clearly a reference to Lightning Helix. In a, like a direct reference to Lightning Helix and playing off the joke that like red white cards and black cards like there's a a big overlap in what those cards do and it's kind of funny to make it a sorcery when you're directly referencing a card that is famously an instant like is so weird to me you know what i think it actually is they hate putting instant speed flashback cards that can interact with your opponent's board yeah it's a feel bad when you get blown out right like a the, sort of onboard trick that's kind of hidden in the graveyard they have like 15 cards in their graveyard and then they grab their graveyard cast one of them and it blows you out and you're like it feels so bad yeah yeah but anyways uh because smiting helix is a sorcery that means that there is nothing preventing you from interacting with dredge sort of as late as possible. If you've got a Tormod's yeah. Crypt in play, you can let them dredge a bunch and respond to the abilities still. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just if they're dredging like in their main phase and you're worried about the Conflagrate or the Smiting Helix is the only time when really like you... I mean, there's there's corner cases or whatever, but the vast majority of the time you can respond to the Narcomoeba and Creeping Chill triggers and, and that is fine, so... Uh, we saw a little bit of maybe mistimed uh, graveyard hate in the tournament. I think so. I think you'll just always see that with Dredge. It's, yeah. If you don't play against Dredge a lot or you haven't played Dredge very mm-hmm. much, it's very easy to misevaluate exactly what cards are important when and how you use your different graveyard hate cards differently mm-hmm. than you would expect. Yeah. Uh, that's just going to happen. I, I think it'll happened you know every week if we had a modern tournament every single week we'd see someone make these mistakes with every single graveyard hate card oh yeah in every single possible way no i believe that and and i think that one of the reasons for that is i mean so clearly it's based in not having a 100 percent understanding of how dredge works and what works against it but i think the core of that is a sort of like my understanding of dredge in this spot is that dredge is really scary and can do a lot of things to me and, like, that's not a deep enough understanding of the matchup to let you leverage your cards correctly. Yeah, you have to understand when things... It's a really mechanic-heavy understanding. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what Dredge requires. You need to have a really deep understanding of when exactly you can... Your opponent, the Dredge opponent, can tr- put things on the stack and when they can't. Mm-hmm. Usually, I like using Tormund's Crypt, and this is just a soft rule. There are no hard rules against Dredge. For graveyard hate because they can refuel and use their graveyard so effectively. Yeah. So one of my favorite like soft rules against dredge is I always want to save a Torrent's script for as long as possible, and when I'll let them dredge whatever they need to if I don't if their graveyard is not scary, and I won't let them go to their main phase until I've seen what's in their graveyard from their draw step. Mm-hmm. That way, if you want to get a sorcery that they can flash back like conflagrate or smiting helix, you can do that. Uh, otherwise, you can just hold your Torrent's script for a while. The scary part of whole popping a torment script is that your opponent can reload with cathartic reunion pretty easily mm-hmm. so you have to always be wary of that yeah yeah or even just a a, a merchant of the veil like a haggle yeah if they just haggle a, a stinkweed imp they might just put you in a bad spot because you popped your your crypt too early so you got to evaluate like if your opponent just dredges an arc even a prowls amalgam you can get rid of that graveyard but you can probably beat a 1-1 one, one, and a 3-3, three, three, so it's better to hold it so they can't have the explosive dredge yep. stuff. Yep, yep. And if you have the crypt 
you can be less scared of the burn plan. So taking a like a hit off the 3-3 and a couple of hits off the 1-1 flyer becomes way less scary if you have ways to prevent them from dealing the last 10 points to you. Though you do have to be more careful nowadays because Smiting Helix can be cast twice. <laughs> yes, Unlike, they might just have it in hand and yeah. do it to you. you. You know those games where the dredge opponents just cast their creeping chill and you're like, ugh. That's three damage. Uh, we're in a bad spot now. Yeah. Imagine them just casting Smiting Helix, and you know there's another three damage coming. Right. Yep, true. Very true. So Dredge definitely looked pretty good. One of the decks that keeps Dredge under control is Amulet. Amulet was not super represented. We had nine copies there. It was exactly fine. 49% overall win rate. Uh, I think a tough choice when the top deck in the field or the most played deck in the field is red green ponza yeah for sure that's a ballsy choice if you anticipate the field is going to be that ponza heavy yeah because although it's not the worst matchup in the world for amulet you can still win you definitely don't want to have be playing against these main deck blood moons right and I, i know that you know like edgar says that the matchup is not as bad as people think i think one of the determiners there is are they on blood moons or are they on more land destruction most of these lists are just on four main deck blood moons yeah of course so so much more powerful so it's bad for amulet if they are doing that eldrazi tron fared extremely poorly our second most represented deck with a 41.7 percent win rate in this tournament that doesn't surprise me yeah eldrazi tron is a favorite deck of a lot of people a lot of people really like playing it Mm -hmm. but i never ever see it dominating tournaments and i know it's very popular yeah i see one in the top 16 or top eight every now and then sometimes it's wins like the uh, challenge a week or two ago i think it won the last two challenges actually yeah Yeah. and but you don't see it littering the top eight yeah it's just kind of those things where i think a lot of people play it some people play it much better and understand the deck a lot more than other people it's surprisingly difficult to play correctly yeah because your cards are very bad (laughs) (laughs) i I don't mean that as like an affront right that it's just very difficult to win with bad cards yeah you have to leverage these four fours and three twos and five fives and make your opponent dead to them like you're playing a tron deck that sometimes the right play is you know sacrifice resources to get in damage so that you can top deck reality smasher and kill them and like meanwhile the cards in your hand are like a karn that you can't cast and stuff so like there there are games where just you have to figure out your lines and they're wildly divergent from other more normal lines with the deck and you have to do this really fancy sideboarding tango with your karn board and figuring out what exactly you need in your main deck versus your sideboard. Mm-hmm. And your your cards aren't great in either pile, your main deck or your sideboard. So you have to figure out when you want to draw these cards and how you use them mm-hmm. in order to beat decks that are just usually more powerful than yours. Yeah, because they have colors. Right. Or, that's a big advantage in Magic the Gathering. <laughs> yes, playing colors is usually better than not playing colors. <laughs> Um, Maze Mind Tome did look good when we saw it. I think that that does improve the deck. Um, the more recent Etron lists from the challenges like this past weekend mostly seem to be leaning towards two copies of that rather than three or more, but it, it definitely helps the consistency and, and is a fine addition. Yeah, I think it's just like a fine card. Yeah. It's nothing to write home about. It's not once upon a time. <laughs> no, but it's the closest they're going to get for a long time. Yeah. 
Hopefully. Oh, I, I hope so. <laughs> Which, you know, there's a side discussion to be had about whether Once Upon a Time would actually be good for Standard, given that we're not, like, doing Goose Oko decks anymore. We're just trying to string together some creatures that are way worse than Wilderness Reclamation or Uro, even if you have the same good draw every game. So, I... I'm sympathetic to that, mm-hmm. but I don't think there exists a world where you can just have such pure intentions with Once Upon a Time sure. and not have someone find out something... Something goes horribly wrong exactly. with it. Yeah. I mean, creatures are just bad in standard, though, so it makes Once Upon a Time feel pretty safe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. But the Reclamation decks that get to like tutor for their perfect four-color mana base and always have the Uro... Yeah. I, I think you would need to fit some more creatures into the rec deck in order to fit it in, but probably it would be okay in, in that deck. I, I, I bet that it would be fine. So, yeah, pretty messed up card. No, no real good can come of it, probably. Can we talk about the amount of prowess yeah. in this mana trader tournament? Yeah. Uh, so, by amount of prowess, do you mean the number of people playing prowess or the amount of different prowess decks that you can play? Oh, both. Okay. People played so many different versions of Prowess. <laughs> yes. And there were, I don't know the exact numbers of all of them together. It looks like 1, 2, 3, 4, I think nine. it's 9, 12, plus 14, 15, 16. Like 20-ish. 16, I think. Okay. Unless I'm missing something here. It, it's around the range of of Blue Eye Control and Jund as our fourth and fifth most played deck. So yeah, if you merge, if you all merge the all of them, but it was literally every color combination possible, from mono red to each other two color combination. There was at least one representative of that in the field. So you can play Prowess however you want. You just got to bring some some one drops and some lava darts. Three different versions of Prowess top eighted. Yes, was <laughs> blue red, red green, and red black. Yeah. There was only one red-green in the tournament. And top-aided. There was only two black-reds, and, and one of them made the top eight. So, um, yeah. Swiss Spear, Soulscar Mage, Lava Darts, Manamorphoses. Although the black-red deck is actually kind of a different animal. Yeah, it's it's still a Lurus deck mm-hmm. from the Companion era, and it still has Cling to Dust, Thoughtseize, that sort of thing. It doesn't. It, the one that was played in the top eight... Only had two lava darts and two manamorphos, right. which is not the number you'd associate with a normal prowess deck. Yeah, but that is pretty common for the black red lists that I've seen in other tournaments as well. Uh, it really is a thought seize deck with some threats, and then Luris as the companion more than it is a focused aggressive deck. I mean, it can kill you pretty fast, but yeah, and we saw some draws where it killed you pretty fast. Yeah. but the the is it one? That's a deck that kills you really fast. That is a pure aggro deck, for sure. And there were multiple board states that we watched in the tournament where the prowess deck has a Stormwing entity Mm -hmm. in play, maybe a Sprite Dragon, or just a 1-2. And there's an Anger of the Gods on the other side on the other hand, but you realize you just can't play it. Yeah, There's a Lava Dart in the graveyard. It won't kill anything, yeah. And it's wild that this Izzet deck is so fast it seems faster than the moderate version i think so because the two drops are so gigantic and like you just die so quickly to a sprite dragon or a stormwing entity and i think it also feels faster just because it is harder to disrupt because we saw 
you know, Lightning Bolt by far the most played card in this tournament. Like twice, almost twice as many copies as the second most played card. Yeah. Uh, so that is the way people are killing creatures. And the fact that it just doesn't really kill some of your threats means that it feels faster just because you look at your hand and you're like, what the hell am I supposed to do against Stormwing Entity? I'm just dead to it. And, oh, we did see the adorable re uh, interaction between Sprite Dragon and Glorybringer. Yes. <laughs> non-dragon. Target non-dragon creature. Yeah. The Glorybringer is too kind to his fellow dragons, <laughs> even if they're also fairies. Yeah. We only realized that when the Gruul player we had on stream attacked and exerted and automatically targeted yeah. the Stormwing <laughs> Entity with the trigger. Because I, I did not. I was like, yeah, of course he's going to kill the sprite dragon here. It's just bet. Oh. oh right. Yeah, that's right. Of course. <laughs> His dragon in the name. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I was very impressed by the blue-red prowess deck whenever we saw it. Uh, it had a strong win rate in this tournament. Uh, I mean, you know, sample size. There were only seven copies of Is It Prowess, but it had 60% win rate. And just the way that Stormwing Entity doesn't die to never dies to fatal push and rarely dies to lightning bolt mm -hmm. and there were not that many path to exiles in this tournament so it is pretty easy to untap with stormwing entity and at that point your opponent is on you know on life support like they're close to dead if you do that yeah there weren't that many path to exiles they're mostly played by the blue white decks the Stormforge stoneforge decks mm -hmm. and those decks did pretty poorly yeah almost as badly as eldrazi tron yeah, the the path decks were not th threats late in the tournament. Yeah, and I I don't remember seeing one on camera. We we never got one. Maybe yeah. they just got smashed by all the prowess decks or the Ponza decks. Like, <laughs> I, I'm not sure exactly what happened there, but they just failed to put up any meaningful results. Yeah, I mean the blue deck. The blue decks that I'm way more interested in than those, although I believe that there's probably a build of blue-white that is, like, focused on Terminus and Mystic Sanctuary that, I, like, I would prefer that over the Stoneforge way of doing it. If you can find your spot to be responsive in the right way to the format, I think that's where the colors of blue-white are more attractive to me in the format. Okay. Um, like, if Terminus is good... That is the thing that would encourage me to play a blue-white Terminus deck. If that's not the case, then I'm way more excited for these Wilderness Reclamation blue decks. And they're so cool! Yeah. I love, I love Reclamation into Factor Fiction. I actually like Reclamation as a card, which is not a popular thing to say nowadays. Well, it's the territory format. <laughs> I think that it's appropriate in mo like, it's cool to see it in modern. And it's only kind of not because we're so burned out from it in Standard. But if it weren't doing what it is doing to Standard, everybody would be like, oh, cool, like Wilderness Reclamation in Modern, neat. I remember when the first Wilderness Reclamation decks came out in Modern, like when they were Mystical Teachings deck. Yeah, they were, and they were not good. Really bad. Yeah. But people loved them. Mm -hmm. We saw them in the 5-0 uh, the lists at the time. I saw it posted on Twitter. Everyone's like, oh, wow, this is the deck. Yeah. I, I'm a control player. I love it. Can't wait to bust out my foil mystical teachings I've had in my back pocket for the last seven years. I remember playing against, you know, when Wilderness Reclamation pretty much, when it first became a thing that anybody even considered playing in Modern, I remember playing against it in, like, a classic when I was playing a version of Phoenix that just had four Pyromancer Ascensions main deck. So, 
that was not the time to be playing Wilderness Reclamation. But now I think that these decks are actually pretty good. Yeah, and you've got so much, so many more cards now. Uro's a big get. Factor Fiction's incredible. Mystic can I, Sanctuary. Can I tell you something that you may not know? Oh, please. So the Wilderness Reclamation deck that won Modern Champs this weekend has a full clip of four Factor Fictions oh, in it. Oh, of course. I'd love to see it. It's just the most powerful, proactive four-mana card. Yeah, and and you have a bunch of powerful reactive stuff that you can do if they, you pass the turn with all your mana up, is what this deck is doing. There's 26 instants and a Snapcaster Mage in the deck. Sure. So you pass the turn, you have a lot of different ways to respond to the things your opponent is doing, whether that's Remand, Archmage's Charm, Force of Negation, Cryptic Command, and if they don't do anything that you particularly care about, then you just get to cast your Factor Fiction. And once you resolve... If you've never resolved Factor Fiction and you play blue decks in any capacity, just try these Reclamation decks. You'll be blown away at how powerful Factor Fiction is. Right. And it took a little while for the format to get to a place where that was an appropriate thing to spend your mana on. Yes. It's really hard to be this, like, all-reactive counterspelly deck if, like... Your opponent can be on the play and play Uro or play uh, Oko on turn two, like, and then you're just like looking at Archmage's Charm Cryptic Command in your hand, and it's like dying to Elk. All right, <laughs> well, this isn't gonna work. I I really like these Reclamation decks. I am not at the point yet where I'm sick of them, and I think they're mostly just in a good spot for the format. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily that they're like the best thing to be doing, or even the best control deck. I'm not sure yet. Mm-hmm. But it's fair enough and powerful enough that I think it can compete long term. Yeah. Wild to see a four reman deck in modern after all these years. Yeah, it's been a it's been a rough time. I think there's just a lot of ways to build this deck. Mm-hmm. I don't. I'm not going to claim four remans the way to go. Yeah. Like I, you, there was a Snapcaster in this build, mm-hmm. but I think Snapcaster's time has passed in modern for the most part. Just given how like poorly it compares to Mystic Sanctuary, exactly. Mm-hmm. Like, is is a Snapcaster Mage really better than just a myst- an extra Mystic Sanctuary? Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, but that's one of the things I like about this deck as well. As long as you've got the the Factor Fiction, Cryptic Command stuff, mm-hmm. and Uro. Yeah, Uro is pretty key to this yeah. deck. The rest of the deck, just throw it ha- together however you like. I like that this deck has a Blast Zone and a Ren and Six. Mm-hmm. You can do that cute little combo. Sure. And just go from there. Yeah, put in your favorite... In the, There's several flex slots. Put in whatever your favorite little pieces of interaction or engine things are. I mean, your main engine is Uro, and also there's Wilderness Reclamations. But mostly it's just that these instants are pretty good in modern right now, and you can build a deck around them. Field of the Dead, too. Yes, yeah, yeah, definitely. Field of the Dead is is a big part of this thing working. Mm-hmm. Um, and also just one Nexus of Fate in there, because, you know, one is, you can never deck yourself. Like, if you go long enough, you'll just get it. I like the one Nexus of Fate. I like that how everyone's adopted it now, <laughs> because it was a thing in the very first, like, blue-green, hard-to-control reclamation decks. They always played... One Nexus of Fate. Yeah. And it was really weird to me, because the previously the only blue-green Reclamation decks were just the Turbo Nexus decks. Yes, the four Nexus the, of yeah, Reclamation decks. In standard. The four Nexus of Fate decks, yeah. Yeah. And now everyone's just adopted that one Nexus of Fate is correct, and just a good addition. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, 
I might agree. <laughs> I am not totally sure what this deck's plan against good prowess draws is. I think that's a weakness of the deck. Yeah. You I we saw it in the tournament where even if you draw your lightning bolt or your flame slash early, mm-hmm. your prowess opponent's creatures might just outpace your spells at that point. Yeah. And the only decks that could come back from that deficit were the control decks that played Scape Shift, mm-hmm. where you could just afford to take 17 damage and then kill your opponent. Yeah. When you're when your plan is actually just factor fiction into lots of card advantage or even uro like uro can gain some life but if they have a a sprite dragon and a, a storm a storm wing entity in play like it doesn't matter you can't gain life to outpace that they're doing so much damage to you yeah you can see i've seen a lot of boards where uro comes back from the graveyard puts its owner at seven and then there's two prowess creatures in place so they attack with both and cast two spells and you're dead yeah <laughs> And it's just, well, you did your thing, you got your Ur out, but you didn't control their creatures, which this deck is very weak at, mm-hmm. and so you lost. Right. Yeah, no, Lightning Bolt, the only main deck removal spell in here, and that often just simply doesn't kill anything. And something you can do if you want to explore these Reclamation Shells is turn towards Sultai instead of Teemer, mm-hmm. uh, because you have better removal for prowess creatures. Fatal Push, it doesn't get rid of Stormwing Entity. Pretty much nothing does, to be honest. Fatal Push is still <laughs> a lot better against the Prowess decks generally. Yeah, you get to kill Sprite Dragon and Swiss Spear every single time. Yeah. Yeah, I would be... I, you're not losing a lot by getting rid of the red from these decks. You're getting rid of some okay sideboard cards in, like, Anger of the Gods, for the dre- which is particularly good in the Dredge matchup. Yeah. But, you know, you can have different dredge sideboard cards. And, and black gives you access to, like, Niall's Spellbomb yeah. if you want that. Yeah. And, you know, you just straight up replace your Lightning Bolts with Fatal Pushes. This is not a deck that, like, really misses the face damage option of the Lightning Bolt, so... No, I don't think I've ever seen this deck killed by Burn, and it's a Mystic Sanctuary deck. Yeah. The only thing you're losing is the ability to kill Planeswalkers, but... Yes. Which, there aren't that many of in modern right now. No, just, like, fewer Teferis than we've seen in a long time. Didn't see a ton of of planes. We saw a couple of Jaces out of some of the, the Wilderness Reclamation decks. Um, and you definitely want a Lightning Bolt if your opponent has a Jace, but... But Karn is the most played Planeswalker in modern right now. Karn the Great Creator. Yeah. Which is, I mean, technically boltable, but... Right. It's already done its thing. Yeah, and I think this deck is really well set up against the Karn decks, generally. Just yeah. This counterspell suite is like a nightmare for Eldrazi Tron. Yeah, the, you never want to be playing against Cryptic Command with Eldrazi Tron. Yeah. It's, it's a nightmare. And Uro is just bigger than all of your guys. How dare you? I think you're correct. Yes. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, Reality Smasher is embarrassing if they've brought back an Uro. You just feel terrible about it. I mean, you know, maybe you should feel terrible about Reality Smasher generally, but it's particularly bad. It only feels bad when it doesn't connect when you play it. Yes. Yes. But in every other scenario, it's a dead card. (laughs) But it does feel pretty good when you get to take out a planes. Like, if they played a Jace and you have a Reality Smasher, then you're like, okay, you know. We're doing it. Oh, man. I wish this was a questing beast, but I don't have green, so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what other modern stuff? I, I continue to just kind of believe that 
the blue red prowess deck is it's certainly what i would choose to play um and i do think that it is just really strong generally uh i don't see any particular weaknesses of it and i i would be pretty happy to register i mean an in play chalice is a weakness but I, i'm pretty happy i would be pretty happy to play against pretty much any of the decks we're seeing in the format with with is it prowess yeah i could see that it's not really my jam i wouldn't be blitzing anything sure I'd, I'd still like amulet they made the finals of the managers tournament i like the reclamation decks though i don't have the patience to play them most of the time mm-hmm. i just find myself getting impatient and wanting to kill my opponent sure uh i do want to mention that so from this modern champs this weekend uh Zach Allen top aided with goblins. Uh-huh. And oh we, yeah, that was another one. We don't see a lot of goblins. We didn't see like any in our tournament really. We don't see any other goblins lists on this top thirty two. Uh, I was listening to his podcast with Harlan, and he had uh, explained sort of his sideboard plan against the prowess decks, mm-hmm. which may have been a difference maker. You see, he has a ton of removal in the sideboard. He's got five removal spells in his board, which is pretty key. Warren Weirding, that is a throwback. Yeah, you can get it with your matron. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, or or with your goblin ringleaders. Um, and so he, rather than, like, you can't combo off against the prowess deck. No. Because Lava Dart in the graveyard means you can't combo off. So you're never going to combo off. So he just plays, like, this lord and, like, sling gang lieutenant game against the prowess decks. So where you just, like, keep putting bodies on the board, try to draw enough removal spells to keep them from killing you with their flyers. And uh, eventually you outsize them and deal the last, you know, drain drain life a little bit with Slingain Lieutenant and just try to outlast them and kill them that way. This is the best looking Goblins deck I've seen mm-hmm. because I like the previous decks that I've seen were the Dark Confidant, bunch of discard spells, and those felt really hard committed to comboing. Yeah. Because all your creatures sucked. Right. Unless you were comboing and your opponent was dead, your, your creatures were just not going to close the game. Mm-hmm. And I really like what Zach's done by putting some lords, like chieftains and munitions experts, in the deck just mm-hmm. to give it an extra punch when you're not... It doesn't force you to combo all the time, which I think was a huge weakness of the last deck. Because the combo is very disruptible. Yeah. You can make your deck, like, acceptable cards and you can get to the combo, but... Yeah, and I, I think that ends up being better, much better, when Lightning Bolt is by far the most played card in the format. You know, I I do like this build, and I, I think Zach definitely hit the nail on the head with this list and, and deserved that top eight for sure. Yeah, I, this is cool. I like this deck a lot. So any any of the Goblins people out there should take a look at this specific list yes. and build from that. Because I... if. Decks continue to trend in this direction rather than going all all in for the combo. Mm-hmm. I think this could be a long term player in the format. Yeah, I, I think that I, I think Zach's a smart guy, and I, I think that he worked really hard on this stuff. And I think he he came to a good spot with this list. So I definitely wanted to point it out. Um, and I also know that Zach listens to this podcast when he can. So you know, <laughs> you have to get the name drop. I mean, I want to you know give respect where it's due, and I, I think that that list is strong. Oh, yeah. Also, there's a straight-up death and taxes list in this top 16. Tenth place, here is a couple of main deck Luris mono-white death and taxes with Sarah Avengers to cast 
from your graveyard with your Luris. <laughs> Didn't we make fun of this deck the last podcast? Oh yeah, this is not playable. Not no. remotely. But people love it. Yeah. The people who play it. For sure. I cannot stop Kenny from playing this deck. No. It annoys me. Uh, yeah, I don't know what it's good against. I don't know what you're trying to do. I It, like, looks really bad against Lightning Bolt. Like, I don't know. Not 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 a fan. It would but... require me to invest time in learning how to play this deck and what it's good against, and I don't want to do that. Yeah, same. I, I, I mean, you're starting... You're giving yourself a handicap by playing a deck like this. By registering... 12 planes yeah <laughs> planes is really bad in the year of our lord 2020 okay well like look at this list and count the number of cards that see play in any other modern deck all right so there is giver of runes kind of that sees play in the druid combo decks right yes yeah. but you know in any good deck right now okay so we won't count giver then thalia is a human's card mm-hmm. yeah so i just passed about 20 cards to get to thalia <laughs> yeah. well you, there is stoneforge mystic as well oh yeah stoneforge mystic completely overlooked that one yep path of exile and aether vial of course staple cards yep and then the 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 equipment for stoneforge mystic yeah those are good and then just a solid 20 spells that don't go into any other deck well yeah no but if you look at the lands, there's 23 of them, mm-hmm. and I would consider Horizon Canopy playable and Sunbed Canyon. Yes. And Field of Ruin, maybe. <laughs> but these 10 planes. No. Not great. Just not good cards. They're even snow covered, which is like, come on. Yeah, Didn't you don't you need to do memo? that anymore. Right, you don't even need to joke about that. This is someone who actually likes the snow covered arts. Or they didn't, like, change their basics after the no, 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 no. This is what you take pride in <laughs> when you're playing planes. It's all about optimizing your cards that you play with all the time. I just, like, can't fathom putting a Leon and Arbiter into play. <laughs> I don't know. It, it sounds so miserable to me. This deck is just not for me. It kind of does... I like it in Legacy, where you can do cool and intricate things. Well, you have Wasteland and Rashad and Port in Legacy. Yeah, you don't have those in Modern. No. You have Ghost Quarter and Field of Ruin. They're not as good. No. I'm, I'm done with this deck. Yeah. I, I just thought it was remarkable that it did well. That, that person must be very skilled, to be honest. I, I'm sure they know this type of deck inside and out. And, and you know, new card, Selfless Savior in there. Hooray. Oh, I thought that was Selfless Spirit when I just scanned the list. No, this is... I mean, you can set up Protect My Stoneforge Mystic and do something to you with it relatively easily with this deck is probably mostly what it's going for. But it's just not a thing that I'm interested in trying to do. Like, you're going to play against, like, Dredge. <laughs> and it's not going to be pretty. No. Um, I'm off modern. Done with modern? I'm done with modern now. I mean, You've ruined my appetite for it. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, do you want to talk about something really fun and exciting? Oh, yeah. What do you have in mind? The PT Finals. The one that was this weekend? The one that was 54% Wilderness Reclamation. Well, that's fine, though, because it wasn't the 60-some percent that Oko was. <laughs> yeah, so... We're not in the true nightmare hellscape. Yeah, this is clearly a healthy format comparatively. Yeah, and there are two different wilderness reclamation they're, decks. They're two different Oko decks. <laughs> let's let's not try that. All right. You're right. Yeah, um this standard is not in an okay spot. Did you catch any of the I know this was a 
this was the weekend we were doing coverage of the Mana Traders while the PT was going going. Right. So it was hard to catch games. I caught a little bit. I, I caught, you have the note on here that Canister was robbed. I caught that match yeah. where he lost to Christopher Larson for top eight. Yeah, I, that, the match broke my heart. He just didn't, couldn't cast spells all match. <laughs> yeah, it was very rough. It was. Because the the four color reclamation deck was the version of reclamation that was beating the mirror. Not that Larson was not playing reclamation. Larson was playing food. Was playing John sacrifice. sacrifice. Yeah, yeah. but and the four color deck is actually better against John sacrifice than the regular one. Yeah, because it has deafening Clarion in it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of cool. Yeah, but I liked that the the people playing four color reclamation generally did better than the teamer reclamation decks because it was just much better situated in the mirror. Mm-hmm. You get to play Teferi in your reclamation deck. Yeah, I mean, I definitely heard some noise about people who attested and come to the conclusion that the four color deck wasn't actually really favored in the mirror in any particular way but it seems like after looking at this weekend that it is i just can't bring myself to care about which one is better yeah i don't i don't either but i really wanted canister win because eventually if he wins enough they'll unban kci KCI. yeah Yeah. Yeah. that's his platform right and I mean, if he keeps winning, then obviously he's right that KCI should be unbanned. Yeah, it just should be unbanned. Yeah. And then Christopher Larson just stole KCI from us all over again. Yeah, it's pretty brutal. But that's okay. That's okay. Chris, Chris Larson is a really nice guy. He is, yeah. I, no no disrespect to him. <laughs> he does deserve to be in the top eight. <laughs> I uh, met him playing for last round of a, an Amonkhet limited GP uh, playing for X and one in the last round, and he killed me with Angel of Sanctions, Glorybringer, <laughs> and then one game I thought I had, and then he cast an Invocation Wrath of God against me, and I lost. Man, those invocations and the the, the sealed events yeah. are always so brutal because <laughs> you're not playing around them in a trillion years. No, and I hadn't seen it, and I just got four creatures killed by a Wrath of God that was not in the format. I uh, I died in that sealed format to an austere command, which was a one-sided Wrath of God. Oh, yeah. Which felt even worse. Because <laughs> my opponent was playing to the board. I was safe. Yeah. So they're just playing all, like, small creatures or all big creatures or whatever. They were playing all have. big creatures. Yeah. yeah, even worse. So you just take eight the time Yeah, I just died it. as soon as I cast it. <laughs> yeah, nope, not okay. But the And every once in a while, they'd have, like, a... In Kaladesh, every once in a while, they just start the game with Soul Ring. <laughs> Luckily, that never happened to me. <laughs> but I did appreciate when the Kaladesh PTs drafts were happening, when Aether Revolt was added. Mm-hmm. Frank Carson took note of how many people assembled the Sahili Rai Felitor Guardian combo. Because that was just a mythic and an uncommon. <laughs> it was like pretty easy to assemble as long as you got the Sahili. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. <laughs> and the... There was also another infinite combo that was only invocations, or what were they called at that point? Uh, inventions. Inventions. It was a Masterpieces. Painter Grindstone. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the odds, he, he ran the numbers on the odds of someone opening up Painter Grindstone, and it was just so small. It was like less than a thousandth of a percent. Right, but it was like such that somebody in some one of the sealed tournaments, like it was favored that somebody at some point would get For the it. entire print run? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which, you know, I guess c- cool? 
I mean, I would honestly, not want to be on the other side of that. It, I kind of would. It would be such a good story. I guess your opponent plays Grindstone. You're like, oh, that's a really cool card to open, but I'm not sure why you put it in your deck. Then they <laughs> play Painter Servant. Activate. <laughs> Just, I gotcha. I'm yeah. gonna be telling the story for the rest of my life. Yeah, you win. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So the PT finals, bad format, pretty bad tournament. Generally, like, the prize structure just doesn't... It's so bizarre that, like, this big premiere, like, you had to work really hard. This is, like, one of the highest ELO tournaments ever. Ever. It's, like... I mean, not quite as high as, like, the world's... 16-player world. The 16 players basically with the highest ELO of any players that year because they all won a bunch that year to get to worlds. So, but it is, like... You know, the margin between regular PT and Worlds, like, this was significantly closer to Worlds than it was to a regular PT in in average ELO. So, really, really strong players, and just the prize pool is not fitting for this sort of thing. I know that we are in the middle of the pandemic and that changed a lot of stuff, but it is... I, I've said it a bunch of times, it is embarrassing that the first prize is $10,000 for this tournament. Well... <laughs> I, I get the pandemic thing, but it, you allocate this money not at last year. Yeah. You don't allocate it this year. You've you've basically already paid for it, and it's not like Wizards and Hasbro doesn't have a huge coffers. Right. I I don't know. But yeah, they say on the website their top eight is participating for the lion's share of the two hundred and fifty thousand total price pool in this tournament. How much total goes to top eight? About twenty percent. Yeah, so so like fifty thousand of the two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, right? Yeah, the lion's share, the lion's share. Yeah, traditionally, like the lion takes a fifth, a a, a two tenths portion of whatever it is. Yeah, the lions are very polite. They mm-hmm. like to make sure there's enough for everyone. Sure. Yep that that sounds about right. Haven't you ever watched The Lion King? Yeah, Scar was really just like trying to get you know just a fair portion of what was you know. Just his his stake and not take any more than what he was trying to do. That's just, like, what lions are about. Yeah, he was part of the ruling family. Mm-hmm. And he took just 20% of his brother's life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I, like, legitimately, I, I am kind of upset by what this PT Finals is. Like, it was just supposed to be so much more. And it just is not good for the players. And it is shocking to me that you can win this incredibly difficult tournament that only a handful of players, only 150 some players even qualified for this. And you get like the it's like winning a GP like and it's not even it's not giving you points towards anything. It's just queuing you for the next thing at best. Well, I don't the top eight doesn't queue for anything. The, the actual top eight. The, right. The, the, you don't get anything extra for top eight. Yeah, exactly. Thing. The $50,000 50, total mm-hmm. that these players are playing for, that's it. Yeah. Uh, actually, the, the, the Wizards website does, it has like a little FAQ of how much money is in the pool, what's the format, do the players get anything else? There's a there's a uh, title yeah. that says, do the players get anything else? And this is where you would expect to find, you know, qualification information how Pro many points point they get analogs that stuff yeah so i read this and it actually says here's what they get other than the money mm-hmm. they get a magic the gathering branded backpack oh my god <laughs> a, a player tours final backpack patch 
Oh, you could put that on the backpack. You could. And it's branded, so it, it'll match. Cool. You also get a release the dogs playmat. Is that... Oh, that's a that's a jumpstart only card that none of these players have cast in their entire lives. That is correct. Okay. It's it's a a four mana make four dogs. Okay. I have that card is really good in jumpstart. Every time my opponent casts that card, I lost the game the next turn. Then I'm sure the pros will be really excited to have a playmat out. Yeah. Yeah. Which I imagine will be exclusive to this event, but is oh yeah, it does say here, exclusive to this event. <laughs> they also get a Magic the Gathering branded notepad. Okay, a lot of value here. Mm-hmm. And a Magic the Gathering branded silver and black permanent markers. I'm at a complete loss here. I, <laughs> I don't even have a joke to make. Like, I mean, the, the contents of this is the joke. It's horrifying. I am kind of head in hands right now. Like, it is really frustrating. <sighs> It's just really frustrating. I know Evan is good friends with Zach Keeney, who is now on Team Lotus Box. I know that Zach got into a weird situation towards the end of the tournament mm-hmm. where he could either... And I don't know I don't know exactly which tournaments were which because I don't know what anything really qualifies you for here at this point. But I know he was at a spot where if he uh, made top 16, that would cue him for the grand finals, which right. is this kind of like made up thing that wizards put into place during their like COVID reimagining of stuff. Uh, if he top 16, he'd make the grand finals. But if he X forward, he'd qualify for, I guess, the next PT or something like that. Mm-hmm. But he could draw into top 16 with an X4 and one record. So he had to choose between either playing for both or drawing into the grand finals qualification and the Grand Finals is worth a lot. The EV is way higher than the next Pro Tour, so he just drew into it, but had to give up his key because the prizes just kind of don't make sense for these things. Yeah, the top 16 does queue for a separate Grand Finals event, mm-hmm. which I don't know too much about at this point. I looked at it very briefly, and I'll have to dig through the Wizards website again to even find the page for it. But it's kind of this half tournament between seasons, mm-hmm. which is it honestly kind of was the real prize for this specific PT finals. The EV is like more than what most of the people in the top eight end up winning. The EV of the grand finals is pretty good is my understanding of it. Yeah. You, you really, really wanted to be in top 16 of this player player store finals. Yeah. And your distant hope was maybe you top eight and get some extra money and some permanent markers. Well, everybody got the permanent markers. Oh, you're right. This is the, just the participants. You're right. Yeah. Sorry. Well, that makes the top eight worth even less. <laughs> I thought the top eight only got it. You're telling me everyone has these release the dogs playmats? Well, it's probably like unreasonably expensive per unit to get like eight markers made. So yeah, but well imagine how special the markers would They'd be. They'd be pretty special. Pretty special markers. But the also the format of the PT uh, finals top eight is very odd for a couple reasons. Okay. First off. This was a two-day PT. Was it three days? It might have been. It was two days. Two days. So previously they did three-day Pro Tours Mm -hmm. where you had days one and two and then top eight on the third day. Yep. So they just kind of split it up into two different weekends. I'm not sure why, but it becomes clear once you read more into it. They, instead of being a normal top eight format where, you know, players play best two of three or three of five, whatever Mm -hmm. year it is. What they're doing this time is they're just throwing the players into a double elimination bracket. Okay. But 
to make it even more interesting, uh-huh. after you've played your X teen rounds of the tournament you just finished to get a ranking in the top eight, you would expect to be seeded into the bracket per seeding. Mm-hmm. Not the case. Oh, just random assignment? They the... are randomly doing seeding. Okay. And even more bizarrely, they're having a show on the Friday beforehand to announce the seeding. <laughs> What? Yeah, they're actually doing this. It's kind of weird. They don't tell the players what, who they're playing against or what or when or where or how. Uh-huh. They'll just have to watch the show and find out. Weird. But this is all very strange to me. And then you'd expect it to be a normal double elimination bracket, mm-hmm. except for then. Uh, except for the random seating stuff. But when you get to the grand finals, which is after... Upper bracket and lower bracket have been decided. Wait, they're calling it the Grand Finals, despite them having a tournament coming up also called the Grand Finals? Uh, I think so. Th- okay. That might have been something I just... Nope, they're actually calling it the Grand Finals. Okay, great. <laughs> so, Continue. So the Grand Finals, now that they've gotten to the very end of the tournament, uh-huh. the Grand Finals is a best two out of three matches instead of a best two of three, mm-hmm. which means... You know, normally in a double elimination bracket, if you're in the winner side of the bracket, the upper bracket, you have a you play fewer games, you have a sizable advantage, you yeah. haven't lost in the tournament yet, right? And so, so then you only have to win one match in the finals, or one of whatever, or whatever the thing you get an advantage. Yeah, essentially finals. you have to be eliminated twice because yeah. that's the parameters of the tournament. You need to be doubly eliminated. Yeah. So the player in the in a typical double elimination tournament, the player in from the lower bracket who's already lost in the tournament, has to win twice mm-hmm. to win the grand finals. Uh, so I think that's what this is emulating. The best two of three matches kind of has that thing going for it. Mm-hmm. Except for they forgot to give the player from the upper bracket any kind of advantage. <laughs> so the reward for losing and getting, or for winning all the way and getting to the grand finals doesn't exist in a double elimination bracket. Interesting. Hmm. Um, when we did our invitational, we cut to the top four, and the winner's brackets didn't have any real advantage besides play draw in our top four. So Yeah, they got it, they got selection. Yeah. So, I mean, that, like, that's not that crazy to... Nece- I, I, I don't think it's necessary. That's not necessarily, like, the bad part of this thing. Because in a regular top eight, somebody makes it at X2, somebody makes it at X1, and you don't really, you don't get an advantage besides play draw based on that. So I don't think that's like necessarily a huge deal, but it is, it is weird that they just like decided to do a double elimination bracket without like going, like the double elimination bracket is that we cut to the top eight and did a double elimination bracket. And then we cut out of that double elimination bracket again at some point. And that's kind of strange. It's, really weird so yeah I, I i guess i just don't really understand like what the goals are for for doing this i think but. it's to give people a reason to watch the the top eight mm-hmm. but the top eight was mostly viewed was more viewed than the rest of the tournament anyway. anyways right unless the format was very very bad granted this format is very very bad mm-hmm. but it's not like wizard's They're really maximizing the amount of screen time for wilderness reclamation mirrors at this point yeah exactly I am not super interested in watching this top eight anyways, so, I mean, I'm sure I'll turn it on if I'm not doing anything else. I'm, I'm going to watch it. I 
Michael Jacobs in the top eight, mm-hmm. who has been a very, very long time Magic player and yeah. streamer. Yeah. And he he's always had his own like brand of stuff. He he has a really cool deck for this event, which was the Mardu Winota deck. Yeah, you cannot get away from that deck on ladder now. Oh, Everybody really? is into that deck. Yeah, I play I, I I played some ladder and it was like every third match it was against Mardu Winota. I I don't blame him. It's a sweet deck. The cool part about this deck is that Michael Jacob really wanted to beat Reclamation mm-hmm. without just playing a better version of Reclamation. Yeah. So he spent stream hours i think every single bit of work on this deck was actually streamed to Mm. twitch on his twitch channel yeah so anybody this deck was available to anybody who wanted yeah if anyone was watching twitch yeah tv slash darkest mage they could have easily gotten their yeah mardu winota tech yeah but no one had even thought of this deck i'd never heard of it before it looks goddamn unplayable it when you're playing against it or looking at the list yeah and then it when you're playing against it and you're like wow these cards are t- oh i'm i'm dead yeah i i looked at this list and well actually kenny was playing it my roommate mm-hmm. in the he because he loves these aggressive decks yeah and also michael jacob because michael jacob's great but got to watch him play it and i asked what the payoff for winota was because i hadn't seen the deck list yet he says, eh, nothing really. You just put um, Judith into play and it's usually game over. And I thought about it and then I saw it happen. I'm like, yeah. oh yeah, yeah, that's exactly what happened. Yeah, you just like hit some guys. <laughs> like the, the hits that have been grabbed against me have been like another Winota. So kind of given the Winota haste and like the Bosri's Lieutenant. And it's like, oh, okay, well, that's just a lot of power and I'm never going to beat this board at this point. Yeah, and it makes 2-2. Two, two. Yeah. It's a really neat deck, and I really hope he can pull off the upset to kind of crush this format with his homebrew. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, the other way that people have been trying to beat Team Erek without playing a Team Erek deck is the mono-white aggro deck, which is really a pile of bad cards and venerated Loxodon. And I guess, like, it can work. But that was a more known entity going into this tournament, so a lot of the rec players are like pretty pre- pretty prepared for it. And certainly the Deafening Clarions out of the four-color deck are very good against the all-one-drop deck. And that's... Deafening Clarion is still pretty good against the Mardu Winota deck, but it has tools and it has angles of attack that just nobody was thinking about when they were building their sideboard. Yeah, the fact that you can just go raise the alarm into Winota mm-hmm. from an empty board yeah. is a big deal. It is. It, like, it does 12 damage a lot of the time. It like, does. Yeah. <laughs> so I that's the only interesting thing this tournament has going for it at this point. So I hope that you know Michael Jacob does get eliminated early because I'm not going to watch this. <laughs> as soon as he loses, he just turn the stream off. What do I have to watch? Reclamation mirrors. Right. It, we've seen them. We're done with them. Like I, I've seen them for months now. Yeah. I I agree. I, it has been so difficult for me to maintain any sort of interest in this format. I just have no desire to to really play. I played a little bit of ladder just so I can be aware of what's going on, and I've not been playing reclamation because I just don't have desire to play more reclamation mirrors so uh, it's this format is just atrocious yep stark contrast to the last corset standard format we had which i thought was really good Mm -hmm. but we're not there anymore and it sucks yeah we had some stuff happen in the meantime (laughs) should we talk about historic a little bit 
Yeah, yeah. there's a historic arena open coming up. Yeah. The, the in-client tournament. Yeah. Uh, the You can get $2,000 from it and... You can play game one as play many times home. as you want. Yeah. I, I think these are pretty cool. I will probably be playing in this one. Been talking about the format. I uh, have an okay understanding of sort of what historic is. So we can just kind of paint that picture without going too deep into stuff. Sure. But goblins happened. Yes. And goblins beats pretty much every normal, certainly any deck without that didn't have goblins in mind when you built it. Yeah, any deck that wasn't specifically had goblins in mind was uh, just going to get run over by yeah. it. Yeah, Muxus is just a, a crazy powerful magic card. Yeah, can't wait to see it in Legacy in a few weeks. I Yeah, I think we will see it in <laughs> Legacy for sure. Uh, you have to not allow Goblin Lackey to hit you. I mean, that was always the case, but it is really the case now. But Goblins and Historic. Yeah, so Goblins and Historic was definitely, you know, S-tier deck, but it has specific weaknesses. One of those weaknesses that was pretty easy to identify early on, I think, you know, I talked about it after the first time I played Historic Goblins, was like, oh, the way to beat this deck is instant speed sweepers and a counter spell from Muxus. And that's a powerful formula that is tough to grind through. A deck that is really good at that are these Wilderness Reclamation decks that are now most of the Historic format. Whoa, Wilderness Reclamation? Yeah. An appearance? Amazing. In Historic? Who would have thunk? Uh, one of the huge... I mean, there's there's several culprits for this. The great matchup against Goblins is a big reason, but also just Explore is legal in Historic. <laughs> yeah. I What? Why? All the Jumpstart cards keep catching me by surprise. Because yeah. I, I haven't played any Jumpstart. <laughs> so I'll see random cards cast in historic matches. And be like, oh, wow, that's in historic. Yeah. Whoa. And explores one of those cards. And it should not be one of those cards. These these rec decks all have seven or eight Gross Spiral plus explorers. I, I see screenshots of Reclamation decks, or sometimes field decks, mm-hmm. especially field well, decks. Well, most, really. most of these Reclamation decks have at least a couple of fields in them. Yeah, too, of course. Because they're, they're just Gross Spiral Uro decks as well, so they might as well. But what's funny to me about the, the dedicated like, Golos field decks mm-hmm. is that they have, in the screenshots I see, it's like one card in each column. There's like eight Growth Spirals, <laughs> you know, four explorers, four Growth Spirals. Then... The three mana one, I don't, Uro, mm-hmm. and some Goloses, and then like 40 lands. Yeah. <laughs> it's just kind of it. It's just <laughs> Explorers and lands. Why would you need anything else? That's all you need to win the game, of course. Yeah. Uh, so Reclamation decks in general are kind of running roughshod over most of the format. Um, I think the clear way to attack these seems to be the kind of dedicated combo decks. So Kethys has a pretty good matchup against the builds of Reclamation that people are running now, at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the cards in the Reclamation decks just are not targeted towards the Kethys deck, and the Kethys deck is faster. Uh, and the Kethys deck also has Teferi. Yeah, I actually think Kethys is just good against control decks, generally. Yeah, It's not... Sadly, Kethys is not good against Goblins. No. And I'm wondering if there is a way to make it good against Goblins, if you really try it. Like, I think specifically like hushbringer might be a th- you can just have a lot of hushbringers and that is a difficult guard card for goblins to do much against i mean they have they can kill it but it is a speed bump and you may be able to kill them back the problem with hushbringer and kethis specifically is it cuts off your emery loop which is like a big deal right yeah and they may not kill it until they're ready to like untap and kill you right so you're so. kind of 
hamstringing yourself to stop your opponents, and it's just not... You need something better than that. Yeah, and you... I mean, you can win the game with excavator-based loops. Yeah, but that that means you have to build up your board better than goblins can and mm-hmm. have a Hushbringer. Yeah, and that's just a really tough... I mean, a, a huge culprit for this being kind of impossible to do is Gem Palm Incinerator. Yeah, exactly. So... You know, which they can cast at instant speed with it, or they can cycle at instant speed with a Teferi in play. Like, you're just never safe. Like, it, it's just Doomblade cantrip. Uncounterable. Yep. It's. It, Kethas is, is not, just not good against goblins. I haven't figured out or seen any builds that make the matchup okay. close. <laughs> yeah. And it sucks because I think Kethas is actually really, really good in the format, except for goblins. Yeah. Well, and so one thing that could be a saving grace here is if these rec decks really force out goblins because that matchup is not good for goblins it's it's about as bad as a matchup can be uh the 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 sweeper of choice for the rec decks is magma quake mm-hmm. which is red red x for an instant that deals x to each creature and what set is that from uh it's from a core set i think was it legal and standard recently or is this a jumpstart thing mm, i don't know let's find out I don't remember this being an option. Commander. Oh, sets. it's from M13. Yeah, it's it's in Jumpstart. It's a rare in a Jumpstart pack. Okay, so that's why another card I just didn't know was in the format. Yep, and that particularly is seeing play. I mean, there's there's flame sweeps in the boards, but there's main deck magma, magma quakes. You know, just like more versatile against several different creature decks, and going up to three damage is important because it takes out the Crankos. Which, it also kills Planeswalkers. Yeah, it also kills Planeswalkers. That's true. This You can just cast it for a large amount and kill Teferi with it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, these Rec decks are definitely built to beat Goblins. And if that pushes the Goblin decks out, then I would be much more excited to play Kethys in this open. Um, an alternative to Kethys is you can play a very similar type of combo deck. Uh, I am excited to try out this Breach list that got posted just a little bit better mana. You lose out on having like access to Uro, but it's really more of an Emery Underworld Breach kind of deck. The fact that uh, Chromatic Sphere and Ether Spellbomb are both somehow <laughs> somehow legal in Historic makes this deck work. Yeah, I didn't know Aether Spellbomb was legal in Historic until today when you showed me this deck list. Yeah. <laughs> and now I'm like pretty excited about it. Yeah. I'll I'm... probably play some games of this deck, versions of it, and then see if I want to play the open. Because mm-hmm. it does look really fun. Yeah, I mean, it's an Emery deck. It has a number of artifacts. Artifacts are Historic spells, so they trigger Diligent Excavator. And there's a few different loops you can set up with an under- Underworld Breach. Um, this deck also runs several main deck Lurises, which can rebuy any of your pieces, uh, and in particular can rebuy the Underworld Breach. So, uh, definitely looks flexible, looks kind of lean at, compared to the Kethys deck, which is full of like 18 different colors of multicolored creatures and planeswalkers. So it, it feels a little more, you know, your hands are going to be a lot smoother, basically. The Kethys deck is a well-oiled machine of mm-hmm. of just Abzan, a creature that costs Abzan mana. Whoa, whoa, it's clearly a Sultai deck with white cards. Yes, <laughs> with like a bunch of white cards, Teferi and Kethys in there. Yeah, those are the only two. Yeah, but it's like eight. <laughs> That's true. But your Chromatic Spheres help. And you can't, 
win without Kethis. Like, no, you can't. You just can't. <laughs> yeah. So I, I definitely would want to try this out, and it's you may be attacking along an angle that you know their Kethis hate doesn't necessarily stop you. I mean, obviously, graveyard hate is fine against both of these combo decks, but. If they're trying to kill the creatures out of the Kethis deck or whatever, like you're sort of less vulnerable to that. Yeah, Pithing Eedle is stops Kethis. It doesn't do anything against this deck. Yeah, sure. I'm interested in giving it a shot. I haven't. This is the the first I saw it was right before we started this podcast, so yeah. I have not had a chance to try it. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to try it too. Yeah. So if we have success, then I will play in the open. If I can't find a deck that I can win with, I probably won't bother. Yeah, I, and it also just depends on how much gold I have banked on Arena. Mm-hmm. Because I haven't really used any of it in quite a while. Sure. But I haven't been playing that much either. Yeah. So if I just have an entry fee, I'll play probably Kethis or this Breach deck. Yeah. Otherwise, just going to take it easy, not worry about playing against Reclamation a bunch. Yeah. I mean, if you just have a great matchup against Reclamation, then, that, then it feels like a thing... That's worth, you know, it, it's less stressful if you're like, oh, hell yeah, I'm playing as Gross Spiral. True, true. Is the, wait, is it so best of one on day one? Because I hate best of one. Oh god, I have no idea. Ugh. Probably. It's probably best of because one. Because they want to give you the max chances to rebuy into Yeah, it. I'm probably just not playing it then. I really don't like playing best of one. But, if you're playing a graveyard-based combo deck that your opponent doesn't get to sideboard against... I mean, sure, but uh, I, I just don't think it's that interesting. It just, best of one just feels like a chore instead of playing Magic. Yeah, no, I I, I, I totally get that. Like, I don't like playing combo decks, like, smashing my unprepared opponents. But I know, your favorite games are all the ones where you are piloting around the hate that they've brought in for you. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't get to do that in best of one. No. <laughs> I just smash them. <laughs> Which is cool for winning, but not very cool for my enjoyment of the games. Yeah, absolutely. I totally get that. Yeah, so that's pretty much historic. I don't really... Obviously, people play all kinds of stuff. Like, you can just straight up play, like, Soul Sisters in it, too, or whatever, and you run into that stuff on ladder. But if you are trying to win, I think that this, like, kind of cycled through metagame of goblins into rec decks into combo decks is, like, you're going to want to pick your lane on one of these things and be doing that. Um I'm not sure that anything else can really keep up once people are being serious. Yeah, and I hope what Amonkhet comes out at the end of August, right? So, God, I uh, hope that does something. Zendikar, right? No, Amonkhet. Wait. The actual Amonkhet. Oh, actual Amonkhet becomes part of Historic. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, wait, yeah. So that's both That's both Amonkhet and... Uh, our. And it's our. Amonkhet Remastered. Yeah, okay. Now I'm trying to think of what cards would actually be contributing here, but, like, Amonkhet can't keep up with Field of the Dead Wilderness Reclamation. So there's the best card in all of Magic, the Scarab God, mm-hmm. which doesn't have a home. I don't know, maybe... Pretty good with Wilderness Reclamation. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. I mean, for just random combo decks, there's Winds of Abandon... Not Winds of Abandon, Winds of uh, Rebuke, mm-hmm. which is a bounce spell that mills two for mm-hmm. each player. And then there's Compelling Argument, which is really good with Underworld Breach, which is a cycling tome scour mm. okay so those are and, and so there this, are, there are breach enablers is what you're saying well those are me. the things that came to my mind yeah yeah but because it's a remastered set they just might put not put in these unplayable like 
limited commons. Yeah. 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 Which would is my least favorite part about these remastered sets is you just randomly miss some cards that I kind of want to play with. Um, yeah, I have no idea how they're going to handle it. That would be not great, but we'll see. Yeah, I don't I don't know if Amonkhet will have... It will probably have something, and I just... Amonkhet's too far removed. I can't think of what's in the set other than Glorybringer, Hazret. Right, I'm only thinking of Glorybringer yeah. and Hazret. Glorybringer, Hazret, the Scare of God, Godfrey's Gift. Those are the cards I think of when yep. I think of Amonkhet. Yeah, Soulscar Mage. Yeah, sure, I didn't think of that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just forget that's in that block. <laughs> yeah. So I'm sure it'll have an impact. Hopefully... Some of this crazy anthology stuff and jumpstart stuff has worn off by then. Yeah. Maybe we'll get some new suspensions. Um, one other option that you can play potentially is just straight up mono red aggro. I think it is fast enough to keep up with these reclamation decks a lot of the time. Uh, like Magma Quake is not a great sweeper against actual mono red aggro, and you can use like Chain Whirler to be solid against the Goblins decks. And so there's some tools there. I don't know exactly what the build looks like that is good enough to keep up, but there are a lot of tools given the cards that are legal and historic. That seems like a, to me, that seems a worse version of just playing Reclamation to be Goblins because Mono Red's really bad against Kathis. Yeah, but if you can get an advantage against both Reclamation specific and if, if you think your 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 reclamation matchup is pretty good and your goblins matchup is fine then it may be a spot that that is reasonable to be at okay so it is i i think that that is potentially an option i'm also sure if i play this open that i'll see it because it's best of one yes <laughs> so. oh yeah. yeah yeah and nobody's bringing in celestial purges or whatever devout decrees yeah devout decrees celestial yeah. purge is far too powerful it's way too good uh, we're not printing, like, Veil of Summer and Noxious Grasp or something. <laughs> Let's be real here. Yeah, it's so wild that, <laughs> that the hosers we can get include Veil of Summer and Noxious Grasp and definitely not Celestial Purge. Yeah. So we've got Aethergust, Noxious Grasp, Veil of Summer, Fry, which is a little laughed at, but honestly just fine. Yeah. And the strictly worse version of Celestial Purge, <laughs> which can't hit enchantments... Or any just planeswalkers or creatures. Well, you get a scry with devout decree, right? Yeah, but it's a sorcery. But it makes and it being a so sorcery much worse. Yeah, it's so much worse than not an instant. Because I've had it sp- also can't kill like several card types that celestial purge can kill. But that's what I'm saying. Fire's invention was legal and standard for months. Yeah, with devout decree also legal, that patently couldn't target it. Right. Okay. <laughs> Shoot. Not like killing fire's invention is a good strategy. Right. But just printing a card that just didn't even have the option is also not a good strategy. And Celestial Purge also can kill Embercleave, which Devout Decree can't. Like, it's just a bad hate card. Yep. Oh, well. That's oh, well. fine. Let's just keep keep the uh, Aethergust coming. Yeah, Aether... Aethergust is a little above. <laughs> the fact that we get to points in Standard where it's like, yeah, I've got three main deck Aethergusts, why not? Yeah, of course. Uh, and Historic may actually be getting to a point where main deck either Gust is quite good. So keep that in mind, too, going into this weekend. Oof. Um, yeah, let's 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 treat uh, Color Hosers as our Patreon question of the week. That's that's <laughs> what we did. That's that's what we've discussed yeah. for the people. Well, just really those five. Next time, yeah. more Color Hosers. Uh, just a we whole got a dull Color amount. Hoser episode. Eventually we'll get to the Circle of Protections, and it'll be like a whole episode. Of, like... The insane choices and early, like, <laughs> massive misunderstanding of how the game of Magic the Gathering works and will end up working. Oh, I love 
to you know spoil the circle of protection episode and tempest i love that circle of protection all all, all of the circles are common except for two of them <laughs> <laughs> circle of protection artifacts mm-hmm. is an uncommon because they're just not that many yeah and circle of protection lands exists and is a rare and has never been cast like on purpose <laughs> No, and also at that point, like, what lands dealt damage to you? Urza hadn't even put man lands in the game yet. <laughs> it was just Mishra's factory. That's yeah, it. That's so funny. Oh my god. You could not keep Sorrow's Path from dealing damage to your creatures with it. I don't know. I, I have no idea what Circle of Protection lands could possibly have been intended for. Who knows? Very strange. So speaking of that sort of thing, not Circles of Protection, but specific episodes we're going to start doing uh monthly uh patron exclusive episodes on topics you know kind of chosen by our patrons and also ourselves so we should be you know they'll be kind of like hour long tangents on any specific topic that that we think is interesting so um if you are interested in hearing that sort of stuff and we'll we'll let you know what the topics are as we come up with them um you can head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast or head over to our website at mtggrindcast.com we we have links to the patreon and all of our episodes and that sort of thing Um, you can find us online on social media i am tweeting at ccr underscore grindcast lee is also on twitter at lee mccleo I think that's all from us this week. Yeah. Till next week. Yep. Thanks so much for listening. Bye.